0: Hi, this is Shashank.
1: Hi, I'm Ashwarya.
0: And welcome to the CCG Tech Podcast. So, um, Ashwarya, what are we discussing in this episode today?
1: So, in this episode, we're actually discussing a whole range of things. So, we're talking about primarily how different uh, jurisdictions are approaching tech regulations particularly platform governance in different areas around platform governance. Uh, we're looking specifically at how the geopolitical environment impacts tech regulation, um, the role of the EU uh, in, um, and the Brussels effect, so-called Brussels effect, and how that uh, affects regulations around the world, what the value of this might be, what the limitations are. Um, and we're also talking about what India and other countries can learn from the EU and other countries in it, like, for example, Germany. So, uh, Shtang, why are we talking about this today? <laughs>
0: um, see. Um, as obviously students of tech policy, we are increasingly studying EU law. Um, Europe is increasingly coming out with new rules, new regulations, policy. That's so hard to keep a track. Um, but of course, you know, as we head into the next phase of tech policy and law development around the world, uh, regions and jurisdictions like the European Union who take a lead in forming these Um, regulations and spend a considerable amount of public resources on them it will be interesting to look uh, at you know the the path they take also you know as as india and the global south uh, is increasingly uh, coming up with new rules and regulations for the internet you know here for indians for tech policy again it'll be interesting to look at regions like the eu and of course, we had the opportunity uh, to talk to Ingrid while we were sort of our, conducting our annual summer school. So yeah, that's why we're talking about this.
1: Yeah, so like Shoshanko was saying, we had the chance to speak to Professor Ingrid Schneider um, about a whole range of areas when she had come to our annual summer school earlier this year. Uh, professor Ingrid is a professor of political science at the University of Hamburg Um, But she works across a whole range of areas and focuses on interdisciplinary research. So she works on issues relating to the data economy, platform regulation, digitalization in developing countries, the ethics and governance of information technology, and even law and politics and IPR. So right now, she's working in India and other developing countries as part of a project funded by the European Union, where she's looking at digitalization and sustainability, which we found really fascinating. And and some of what she says will come from the work that she's doing there. Uh, So she's a great person to talk to about this because she has a real breadth of engagement across a whole range of countries and across a range of subject areas. And as part of this project that she's involved in, she's also traveled extensively across countries in the global majority, like Mexico, Brazil, and like I said, India as well. And so we hope you enjoy this conversation.
0: Yeah. So Ashwarya, one of, the f- one of the things we spoke to Ingrid about was how the geopolitical environment impacts tech regulation. And, you know, some of our listeners may already be aware that, for example, Um, There is one model of tech regulation that is the Chinese model, um, you know, where um, it is sort of more protective, um, um, they have their sort of own ways um, of of ensuring, you know, national security through tech regulation, let's say. And on the other hand, um, there is a bit more openness in, let's say, the way the US looks at tech regulation. For example although they have some sectoral data protection rules but um, you know on the federal level there is no data protection law in the us um and then you know there is india in the middle somewhere where india wants to chart chart its own route on tech regulation um see what works for um, for indians depending on um, the demographic that india has um so just keeping all these things in mind we you know, got to speak to, again, uh, Professor Ingrid and ask her what she thought about this.
2: I think this is also something which has become more and more apparent in the last years, that there are some centers of power or models also of handling the internet. On the one hand, we have the United States, and most of those GAFAM platforms, or all of them, Uh, originate in the united states and it's a certain mentality which is also called the californian mentality californian Mm -hmm. ideology that the state shouldn't interfere Uh, the united states don't have a data protection law um, uh, in terms of federal data protection law so let them just act and the other model is the chinese model It's a very authoritarian model. It uh, very strongly curbs uh, all the actions. There's a lot of censorship. So I think many countries nowadays seem to be squeezed between the US model, a very libertarian model, very open model but also very very commercialized model Mm. and on the other hand the chinese which is a very authoritarian model very very strongly limiting uh, free speech also limiting uh, civil society groups or not even letting them speak so i Mm. think the european union has um, coined another narrative which is a narrative of charting a third path Mm. And um, the question is whether India and other countries want to have an alliance, a form of coalition with mm-hmm. the European Union, or um, I hear here in India very much that India wants to chart its yeah. own path, mm-hmm. because I think the Indian narrative is very much also a techno-nationalist um, narrative, uh, very much also a techno-solutionist uh, narrative, as I would
1: say. So yeah, like Ingrid was saying, different countries do approach regulations differently, even if uh, the incentives for the private players that we're seeing can remain consistent across uh, across countries. And so one of the things that she did mention was the EU approach being sort of a middle path between what she said the US and China's approaches were. And um, it's interesting to think about because the European Union often, or at least in these areas, so for example, with the GDPR, which some with some regulations um, around platform governance like the DSA and the DMA, has done a lot of like thinking and has invested a lot of like intellectual and regulatory capacity into framing these regulations. Um, and so uh, this is this is what we sometimes call the Brussels effect. And so we just asked Ingrid about uh, how she thought of it and like how she saw it playing out in different countries. Um, and so here's what she had to say
2: maybe i first explain the brussels effect Mm -hmm. it's a term which was coined by arno bradford she's a now um, scandinavian researcher living in the us and she did research on law and she said that in european legislation in environmental law but also the most pronounced example is data protection privacy law is not only exercised or um, it's it's not only relevant for europe or for mm-hmm. the countries but also for the rest of the world so the mm, the term is extraterritorial effect even though law is t- bound to a certain territory mm-hmm. the european union is uh, has more than 450 million inhabitants it's mm-hmm. a large consumer market and it has set up the general data protection law which um, demands that all the firms who want to offer products or services on the European market are bound to this legislation. So the question for these big platforms is, do they want to have different data protection designs and all the technical infrastructure just for Europe and for other countries? And the idea is that it's too cumbersome for them to segment their architecture and design, So they will take the high European standards Mm. also for other countries. And this is one of the effects of the Brussels effect. That it's uh, what's called a race to the top, you know, that in terms of standards, Europe is setting high standards. And then um, due to certain mechanisms, uh, the rest of the world will possibly adopt them. And I did research. I find it very interesting, but it might also be a little bit idealistic because uh, the book of Anu Bradford only looks at law in the books in terms of legislation. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that, GDPR has really become something like the gold standard. Mm -hmm. More than 140 years worldwide have passed um, data protection laws, privacy laws. India is about to have one. So in that respect, it seems like a huge success story. (laughs) However, if you look at law in practice, it's becoming a little bit more difficult because I see there are strong enforcement challenges even in Europe itself. So... um, For a long time, GDPR has not been enforced against big tech companies only in national member states, but the Irish Data Protection Agency Mm -hmm. authority only recently uh, imposed a very high fine on Facebook. And in other countries, let's say Brazil, there is a law which is very similar to the GDPR, right. which is the co- so-called LGPD. Right. But the Data Protection Authority has only recently become independent. Right. It was very uh, strongly under the present, uh, hmm. presidency of President Bolsonaro. Right. It had only a limited number of staff. It started with 30 people, now it's eighty, eighty-six. Right. Um, and also to have penalties, to have a sanction regime, and all that. It needs time. Yeah. And if the data protection authority isn't um, resourced enough, yeah. and uh, it's not strong, it, if it doesn't have a credibility also in the general population, mm-hmm. among citizens, among civil society, it will be difficult uh, to for law to be enforced and implemented.
0: It's very interesting to me that, you know, we consider Europe uh, to be this region that has a great data protection law. And suddenly we found out that um, enforcement is a challenge in Europe. You know, I would associate, you know, being from India, I would associate that more to be from here, where traditionally, you know, even the IT Act has had enforcement challenges. There's the data protection rules called the SPDI rules under the IT Act um, that are known for sort of not being enforced. Uh, But it's interesting that Ingrid is pointing out and we're also seeing that Europe is even having uh, enforcement challenges. Um, And I think this is a relevant question to ask just beyond what a draft should look like. Um, You know, what is the enforcement mechanism um, that will enable efficient enforcement of a law, especially in a country like India where um, maybe literacy and digital literacy is not at its best. Uh, So you need mechanisms where Um, The government can support enforcement. Um, Ashweta, even in the current draft of our data protection law, the latest version at least, uh, we know that uh, there are some remaining enforcement challenges. Now we have... Um, not necessarily a regulator but this quasi-judicial authority that is going that is basically going to help with complaints and it has its own challenges that we've spoken about in our work we link some of that uh, in the in the notes Um, but yeah going going on from there we also got to ask Ingrid about what the German experience has been especially in the context of the socio-political environment and the history of Germany within the EU as well And, and this is what she had to say. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I think, of course, Europe is made up of twenty-seven member states, and Germany is uh, one of the biggest member states right. and uh, has a long tradition when it comes to data protection. Right. So, in that um, in that respect, I think Germany has also has had a history of two surveillance states in terms of the Nazi regime and really prosecution of Jews, mm. uh, surveilling them, mm. and until killing them so this is a very cruel history and we had the GDR uh, also intercepting its citizens, yeah. uh, having a surveillance state. So, therefore, I think we are very skeptical, very cautious when it comes to our personal data because yeah. data protection is not about protecting data. Yeah. Data protection is about protecting fundamental rights yes. of citizens. Yeah. And I think in Germany we also have um, a view also in, in terms of law, in terms of our constitutional values, that citizens need protection from the state yeah. mm-hmm. but also protection by the state yeah. for yeah. instance vis-à-vis yeah. big tech the power yes. of big tech platforms mm-hmm. dark patterns or abuses mm-hmm. of power yeah. so i think this idea of fundamental rights which are not only um, mm-hmm. valid vis-à-vis this relationship citizens and the state yes. but also in the horizontal mm-hmm. dimension mm-hmm. of between the citizens mm. and uh, the big tech platforms this is I think an important idea in in Germany also in constitutional law terms and we try to spread this idea in a certain way and I think it has taken has taken up in the European um, Union because the Euro- European Union also has um, a fundamental rights regime. Yes. So I think fundamental rights are really crucial in, yeah. because it's not just about compliance in platforms. Yeah. I think all these new laws have to be centered on fundamental rights, yeah. um, discourses, fundamental rights, yeah. and also concretizing these rights. So sometimes the European Union is now talking about European values, and I'm a bit skeptical about that <laughs> because I think human rights and values are universal they may be interpreted Mm. certainly differently in different cultures but i still very much stick to this um, position that it's universal rights and they have to be protected and exercised in that respect so i also think um, in india there are civil rights groups which are very working very intensely on also doing consultations, trying to give good advice to the government, to politicians. And I think they need to be heard because they have become experts. It's also you as a center. Um, I think this is most important. And I also think that this organic relationship Mm -hmm. between governmental agencies, expert groups, Mm -hmm. academic groups, and civil society is very important to preserve this yeah. fundamental rights perspective and also to have a look which is really a, a constructive and positive view in chartering its yeah. way against the power of large platforms but also in protecting the rights of citizens.
0: Yeah, I think um, I'm taking back at least three insights from that conversation Um, I think the first one being, um, you know, of course, it's important to have a strong law. But um, even if you have a strong law like the GDPR in Europe, it's important to think about the enforcement models and the enforcement mechanism, and and whether it sort of serves the purposes the law has been drafted for. Um, Again, I know Europe has struggled with this. We found out from even Ingrid on this and uh, something for us to keep in mind in India as well when we draft uh, rules and regulations for the internet. Mm -hmm. I think the second one is definitely what I picked up from the conversation with Ingrid was um, engagement with various stakeholders, Um, you know, between the government and the private entities having their own voice, which are obviously important voices, Sometimes groups that represent users and you know user rights and user harms um get a bit diluted um so what I sort of again gain from this conversation is that it's very important for all of us to keep those voices in mind and listen to what they are saying um following from that, of course, the third insight which is very close to the work we do here at c c g as well is to ensure that um you know human rights and uh, democratic values and principles and constitutional principles are sort of enshrined in tech regulation as it sort of evolves and develops. Um, The Indian government especially um, and the way digital access in India is developing, a lot of societies basic requirements, you know, whether it's payments, healthcare, accessing benefits is increasingly becoming digital. Um, And, you know, just keeping that in mind, it will be important to keep um, democratic principles and constitutional rights um, um, in that perspective. So yeah, I think three clear insights coming from that conversation. I think it's been great. I've enjoyed this uh, conversation that we had with Ingrid. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as well. Um, It has certainly given us a lot to think about for our work and hopefully you've enjoyed this. Thank you for joining us.
1: We would love to hear your thoughts on the episode and your suggestions on what topics you would like us to cover. You can reach out to us through email or find us on our social media we will link the details of these in the show notes. Lastly, we would like to thank National Law University Delhi and the Frederick Norman Foundation for Freedom for their support in creating the podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening to the podcast. We look forward to bringing you more content. This podcast is created by Centre for Communication Governance at National Law University Delhi. This episode was edited by Ananya and Gopika.